Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me is the regional sports editor for the Columbia Daily Tribune, Kevin Grayler. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. Glad to be here and really happy that the summer is almost over. Lots of fun ahead. Today is what? We're recording this on July 23rd, I think. Yeah, something like that. Or July 24th. One of those. Wednesday, July 24th. There we go. Yeah, the 24th. And camp is nine days away for football. But uh, that's uh, we're trying not to make that the focus of this podcast specifically, uh, as we are, we already recorded the interview. Uh, we had uh, interim volleyball head coach Josh Taylor in the studio, and we had about a twenty minute interview with him. That'll be kind of the main portion of this podcast. But yeah, let's take it back to for those of you who don't know, from last Thursday night, Wayne and Susan Kreklo, the for, now former volleyball head coaches, announced their retirement after nineteen years at Mizzou. About twenty minutes later, they named Josh Taylor. Uh, the interim head coach and Mo- formerly Molly Kreklo, now Molly Taylor, the Susan and Wayne's niece, the, his top assistant. So yeah, that kind of all broke, and we got a chance to talk to them on Friday, right? Yes, it was Friday. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and from that we we had some coverage in the Tribune over the weekend. Uh, there was a story uh, Eric did about uh, just the the retirement of Wayne and Susan, the impact they've made on the program, certainly getting it to the great spot that it is now of of being a national contender year in year out. Uh, and then I got a, a, an opportunity then uh, after that press conference Friday uh, where it was all more or less made official. It was uh, The announcement was, was made to the media there uh, at Mizzou Arena. Uh, I got the chance to talk with, with Josh and Molly, both one-on-one, just kind of getting their thoughts on, on this transition uh, of, of keeping uh, this coaching tradition alive within uh, the Krekolo family, certainly now by the Taylor name, mm-hmm. uh, but still, uh, you know, w- within that line of, of Kreklos. Uh, just, uh, just really cool to, to see uh, their perspective on this all and, and, and how uh, excited they are about the opportunity just to, to keep this success uh, going for the program uh, as this coming season is, uh, like, like we've been saying, it, it's right around the corner. Yeah, we, we, we thought the timing was interesting being a week before or I guess like three weeks before the start official camp for them, which we learned was August 7th or 8th uh, that Josh said a little while ago, and you'll hear plenty of that. And But Wayne and Susan wanted to leave the program in a time that was where they where there wouldn't be a, a slip you know there wouldn't be a time where they could they would stop their NCAA tournament success and that was quite admirable on their part but you know the, the thing that struck me most being in that in that press conference room at Missouri Arena is I've never seen that room that full I mean I've been there for basketball things and both on the men's and women's side after games and for availability and things like that and just to see 
first off, the entire middle of the room flooded by every media outlet that possibly could cover Mizzou volleyball, you know, and then to see so many Mizzou staff kind of surrounding the room, every SID volleyball or not was there, a few other staffers, and then to see... I think every player on the roster. Yeah, the kind team of, was there. It was sitting on the right side, waiting to kind of hear everything. It was kind of a uh, quite the undertaking. I mean, that room is big to begin with, and I've never seen it that crowded. I mean, that if, if, I don't think anything more than that says about what the impact Wayne and Susan had is that everybody was there. You know, if you if you're a Mizzou athletics reporter like Kevin and I are dabbling in right now, you run into all these people on separate occasions. I think it's the first time I've seen everybody at the same place at the same time, kind of like that. And it was for a volleyball event. Maybe that happens during football games, but I usually don't see kind of the other SIDs there and other staff members there. And but just just to see everybody at one place at one time was shows the impact of Wayne and Susan Crackle. I think better than anything. Yeah, and, and lots of emotions that day. You, you, you would see smiles and then tears, and you'd be from the same person just kind of going through. Um, you know, certainly the, the excitement of, of of Josh and Molly taking over. Uh, but just kind of the the end of an era for Wayne and Susan, who have meant so much, uh, not only to uh, you know athletes that have come through Mizzou uh, on the court, but but off the court as well. Um, just uh, definitely a, a well-rounded uh, legacy that that they leave, and now in the hands of of Josh and Molly, who uh, I, I think you can tell their their genuine enthusiasm uh, just to to take the reins. And not, you can never help the shameless plug on this podcast. Uh, you can read the breaking news aspect of it uh when it broke Thursday night we got it in Friday's Tribune uh my story kind of it was I think it ended up being like 1200 words on the impact the Kreklos had in Saturdays and Kevin wrote the story for our Sunday edition kind of previewing well who are who are Josh and Molly Taylor uh yeah that's kind of uh catching up on everything volleyball wise I mean you know you can hear it better from Josh than you probably could hear yeah, from either yeah, one with, of us without further ado yeah without further ado here is our interview recorded earlier today with Mizzou interim volleyball head coach Josh Taylor Sports podcast this time is the interim head volleyball coach of the University of Missouri, Josh Taylor. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really great. Thanks for having me. Of course. I think I think uh, people have heard of the announcement that you're kind of taking the reins, but for those who don't know you, here's a great chance to introduce yourself. Who is Josh Taylor? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy from Hawaii and uh, um, got lucky enough to marry a girl who actually played volleyball here at Mizzou and you know, got a really good opportunity to be a coach. So, um, just really fortunate to be here. So just a guy with, with a great wife and a pretty sweet job. So it has been a couple of days since the announcement came out on Thursday, uh, that Wayne and Susan were retiring Friday, I guess actually right after that, it was kind of announced that you were taking over in the interim with Molly's your top assistant. You've had a couple of days to process everything. How, right. What's the feeling now? Um, you know, I think each day I just get a little bit more excited for our first opportunity to get in the gym and see our girls every day. So always just kind of touching base with them, see how they're doing the transition. And, uh, um, but yeah, it's finally starting to sink in, getting in some more meetings, trying to establish, um, myself as a head coach and create some presence with, um, I guess, different parts of the university, and uh, it's it's been pretty fantastic. Josh, just being there for the, the news conference the other day when the announcement was, was official of, of you right. taking over, you, you and Molly together, right after that, you went out and, and you were just kind of informally addressing your team out in yeah. the hallway outside of the, the media room. 
what, what was the, the gist of your message there? What were you trying to get across? And what, what was that moment like for you after you had just officially taken the reins? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I told him was that the only, that's probably the only time they'll ever see me cry, or at least I'll try not to cry in front of him anymore. But, um, you know, it, it was really good. And I really care about this team genuinely. And each person, each, you know, girl on this team is really, really special. And it's cool that I get to do life with them. Um, in chatting with them, it's just kind of checking up on how they're doing. We've had some, uh, the day prior, we had a pretty emotional time in the locker room when Wayne and Susan came in and kind of announced it to the team that this is what was going to be happening. And so less than 24 hours later, um, you know, they had to see Wayne and Susan get emotional again. So it's a pretty emotional short period of time for them. So I wanted to make sure everyone was doing all right and see if they had any concerns for me. And, um, you know, really just kind of be there with them and uh, show them that, you know, I've always got their back and um, especially with all the emotional things that were transpiring in that day. You know, how has the team been kind of in those, I guess, couple days? Obviously, they're a Division One team. You kind of have that expectation already. But right. in an emotional time like this, right before official camp starts, yep. how you think they've handled it well? How are they doing? Yeah, you know, they've handled it awesome. And again, the, I can't tell you how special this group is. Um, they're all really mature. They get it. Um, and uh, kind of prior to this happening, um, we were given a lot of freedom to be working with the girls, especially in the spring practice. So we've really been able to kind of develop a really great trust with each one of these girls. And um, kind of going forward, I think it was just the shock of Wayne and Susan leaving. Um, but still the trust between them, Molly and I, is there. So they've been handling it really nicely. Wayne said something to the effect that he wouldn't feel comfortable stepping away from the program if it weren't in a great spot. Yeah. Uh, First of all, what what do you think you can learn from Wayne and Susan for how they got it in that great spot? Right. Second of all, how much does that mean to you to know that he he already kind of had this mapped out? It was kind of a matter of of not if, but but when. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this in the press conference, and I think the reason um, they were able to take it from a team man, I might have to check with Andy Oldenburg on this one, but um, kind of the history here. Uh, um, The year that they came in, Mizzou was a zero-win team, and they've taken it to the national tournament 15 times out of the 19 years they've been here. And I talked about how they give everything they've got all the time to the program, and that's something I'm really going to be trying to emulate um, going forward because that's a feat that not many people accomplish. Uh, You obviously, your last name has never been Kreklow. Correct. Uh, to my knowledge, yeah. is, at least. <laughs> no, that's correct. Uh, but you, you married into the family. <laughs> I How, did. I, I, what, at what point was it either when you were dating Molly or married or now was it that you took so much ownership of kind of the, the Kreklo name and being such a, a valued name in the community here? Um, you know, I think... Um so in 2016, I was a GA for a short period of time with the team. But that summer, Molly and I came and worked summer camps. And it was the first time I ever stepped foot on campus. Um, I fell in love with the university for what it could offer, how gorgeous it was. And um, I fully understood. I knew my wife was kind of a big deal. But when I got here, I fully understood. Each time I went to the grocery store, everyone's like, hey, you're Molly Kreckla. I used to watch you when you played here. I understood what it meant to be a tiger. And um, the more I've been around Wayne and Susan, I understood everything that they've done, not only for the program, but for the university and kind of the community um, with regards to sports. So it's, it's, it's a big deal to be a part of. So now with, with you at the helm, mm-hmm. what are the next few weeks 
look like uh, for the team for, for you kind of taking over and really there's a there's a short period of time before this black and gold match comes and, right. then, and then the season opener so can you just kind of walk us through what, what what's the next month going to be like as far as plans you have for, for getting ready for this upcoming yeah. season yeah you know the next month's going to be really exciting uh, all our girls are done on Thursday and they'll go home for a little period of time and our report day is August 7th um, August 8th is when we begin camp or double days whatever we want to be calling it and um, Molly and I are pretty organized people and take time very seriously. So we've already got practices planned out. We know what we need to be working on specifically. And um, we know how basically to create situations in the right environment for our girls to improve technically on the court. So um, it's going to be a lot of technical focus um, coupled with a lot of team focus as well. So um, not just on the court, but off the court, um, building emotionally with one another and trying to gel as a unit. Uh, just a little bit more background. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but you said you were from Hawaii. Correct. You played your college at Pepperdine in correct. Malibu. Yep. Uh, and then you met Molly at the national team gym. I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, at what point in your volleyball process did it click? Did coaching come into play? Was it when you dated Molly or no, when I, was it actually? Yeah. So actually we're still dating. Um, it's when we were GAs in that fall of 2016. And to be honest with you, coaching, uh, especially women's volleyball was something I always told my mom and dad I would never do because I've got two younger sisters who both played um, club volleyball and there's always some drama involved in it and I was like ah oh, that sounds terrible and um, but man when we were here as GAs um, I guess I didn't really understand how much I knew about volleyball having played it for such a long period of time and how much I enjoyed helping other people improve um, and of course I really enjoy the interpersonal relationships that you get to develop with kids and um, that's that 2016 16 GA years when I absolutely fell in love with coaching. So obviously you've played for a while. What right. it's not like gymnastics where there's completely separate sets of rules for boys and girls. Mm-hmm. I think the net's the same size, the court's the same size, same number of players and the same size ball for men and women, correct? Pretty just much. the net's just a little bit higher, but that's okay. it. Everything else is the same. Maybe, what are some of the differences you've seen from the men's game to the women's game? Um, the women's game, defensively, I, I think they're you know a little more skilled. The ball doesn't move as fast in the women's game as the men's. Um, and I think what's a little bit different, what we're trying to incorporate a little bit, is in the men's game, the back row attack is something that's a primary tool for scoring points and transition as well as serve-receive. And we've got athletes like Lekator um, and Kylie DeBerg who can both kill the ball of the back row trying to incorporate that a little more into our offense so basically what that means is we're going to have rather than just three attackers coming out coming at the other team we're going to have four so we really kind of increase our chances of hitting against a single block upping our chances of scoring while we're killing the ball um, but you know it, it's incredible because coming from the men's game obviously um you realize that, and I think what has kept the women's game from moving more towards the men ga- men's game is they're saying like, oh, you know, men are just a little bit more athletic, they're a little more dynamic, and we've got. Um, you find that these girls are absolutely easily athletic enough to be completing these skills as the men do in their game. Um, so when we teach that, our girls grasp onto it so quickly and they learn it so fast um, and they're able to implement it in matches in a very short period of time. So it's been really impressive how we're slowly starting to move towards the men game, men's game just a little bit more. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch and be a part of. Josh, you talk about how much you want to follow in the footsteps of just kind of the foundation mm-hmm. that, that Wayne has set, that Wayne and Susan have set. You and Molly kind of want right. to, to follow their example. You now as interim head coach, are there any ways you think you're going to maybe go about things 
different than what Wayne has? Certainly, you're, 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 not, uh, you're not the exact same person. Right. What, what do you kind of think about that? Any differences in just philosophy or, or anything like that going into this season versus what Mizzou fans have, have seen in the past? Yeah, you know, um, I am different from Wayne, of course. And uh, I think certain things that are going to change is maybe just the way we train, the way we approach camp or double days. Um, and, you know, I guess being and not saying Wayne didn't do this, this is just what I'm planning on doing is being incredibly mindful with the way we approach our training, um, implementing video, um, identifying specifically what we need to be working on and each day coming up with a different practice plan based on what we weren't able to achieve or what we need to improve on based off the previous day or match. Um, so really just a increased use of video and, um, being insanely mindful of every time that we step on the court, you're either getting better, you're getting worse. And um, that's kind of my job to be helping these girls reach their personal best as athletes. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's you guys won the conference in 13. Correct. In 16. Correct. So the trend would make it 19, I guess, then every three years. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> that is that is true. And uh, I, it's, it's very... You know, an SEC championship is shiny and is pretty and it's uh, out in the future. And I find myself getting caught up in that sometimes. But um, I truly believe that taking care of the present and what you can control, um, if you put all your focus into that and all your effort into that, things like that will come. Um, but, yeah, you are right. It would it would be the trend. <laughs> I think that'd be a pretty good first season, don't you think? I think that would be okay. Yeah, I would, I would be very overjoyed with something like that. Absolutely. And I'm always curious to ask a head coach about this, but uh, you know, who are some of the individuals that you think will have an integral part in your season? Obviously, volleyball is one of the ultimate team sports. Yeah. Uh, but who are some of the individuals you think uh, you mentioned a few of them, like Kylie DeBerg, yep. who might have a bigger say in how your season goes? Yeah, you know, and it's it's hard to pick. And we've talked about our roster a couple times now. How on paper we look awesome, and to be honest, even on the court we look even better. Um, People who are going to have a pretty big impact are Kylie, Lekator, um, Andrea did a pretty fantastic job leading the offense last year as a first-year player. So, um, I mean, those people, Tiana, uh, Kayla is going to be coming back. So the opportunity she's going to have is be really exciting, especially based off her freshman year two years ago. Um, so to be honest with you, I think everyone's going to be having a good impact. But our, our, our big guns are Lekator and Kylie DeBerg. You take over now, and in your first season leading this program, you return the core from a team that that, that made a run into the NCAA tournament a year ago. Yep. Have you kind of pinched yourself yet? I mean, how, how surreal is it you've for you? You've got no idea. Yeah, you've got no idea. When you, you think about head coaches taking over, I'm, not, I'm still the interim, but they – most of them will be having a rebuilding year where they're trying to implement their culture and all that kind of stuff. And maybe they're trying to bring in some transfers to fill a roster, but coming in with a roster that is this stacked is just out of this world. It's very unique. And, um, I do have to pinch myself at times. Even when I see these girls at lunch, I'm like, I'm your coach and you're on the team. It's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, and the greatest part about that, too, is last year we had an experience where at the tournament we played at Nebraska, and that's, you know, a pretty awesome place to play. And having that experience is something that our athletes are going to be able to build off of and really kind of use it to improve themselves in the court. So it's um, really, truly, the sky is the limit if these kids really buy in to what we're teaching and they want to get better each day. 
I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine you're one of, if not maybe the youngest coach in the SEC. I believe I believe I am. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. I, hopefully, I'm, I don't mind asking this, but actually, how old are you for those who are listening right I now? I am 27. 27, so yep. am I. Uh, but at that, at that, uh, and I imagine you're one of the youngest coaches then in Division One, maybe college volleyball, maybe. Probably. Whole, one of those. Is there any advantage you see in being kind of only what some of these girls might be 22 on your team right. five years older than them you know they could have been in high school with you or something like that sure, is there an, yeah. you know what Fortnite is you know is there, <laughs> is, is there an advantage to something uh, like that being a head coach in your in your position you know I I, I think it'll it helped and allowed me to build some pretty strong trust and rapport with these girls on the team um, but something that I and Molly talk about a lot is that we were recently playing at a really high level and it's actually something I touched on in that press conference is um, you know you want to be able to explain how verbally how to technically perform a skill well um, and being also able to tell these girls hey when I did it I felt like this when I moved my feet this way when I got the ball over my right shoulder rather than on top of my head I was able to feel like I had more shots um, it because I, I was feeling it very recently. Um, so being able to explain that and also demonstrate it myself um, so they can see, hear, and then identify how that's going to feel when they themselves implement what we were talking about is, I think, an advantage that I do have. Um, being able to perform the skill correctly, um, talk to them how it should feel when they perform it, and then having them do that repetition until they say, Hey, now I understand what Josh is saying. I feel what Josh told me I should be feeling. And now I can kind of make this and form a habit. Um, I think is a, is an upside that, um, Molly and I both have. Josh, with, with all due respect to the interim label, mm-hmm. certainly there's a process to go through for yeah. you, for the university is, is Mizzou is, is Columbia a place that, that you could envision you and Molly being for you and Molly coaching at for, for, for quite some time to come. And what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, it it is. It's to be honest with you, I played for Marv Dunphy at Pepperdine, and I think he had a thirty four year coaching career. So I mean, the guy stayed in one place. My sister played for Dave Shoji at Hawaii, who had an even longer coaching career. I think something like forty, maybe. Um, and I admire that a lot. You're sticking with a program, and you're really pouring yourself into the girls that you bring in, and. Um, to be honest with you, and I've actually even told um, other people this is this is where I want to coach, and this is where I want to stay for my whole life. And the reason being is because I know what it means to be a part of the university, and I know what it means to be a part of the program. It's a big deal. Being here is not just some pl- people don't come here saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna go join this team." No, I want to be a Mizzou Tiger. It means a lot, and. You know, being able to be the interim coach means more to me than it's, it's even hard for me to express a little bit. Just that that gratitude I have. So, if I do get that interim tag taken off, um, hopefully they'll have me for life. Are you an expectations guy? Have you set kind of what would suffice winning right now would mean to your team? Have you set oh an NCAA tournament, oh hosting, or anything like that? Um, you know, kind of the expectation we're setting is that. Um, I expect you to give all that you've got all the time. And I'm not incredibly concerned with the amount of wins. Obviously, you want to have a 21 season. Obviously, you want to win the SEC. Obviously, you want to go to the NCAA tournament. I truly believe that if you're taking care of what you can now, given everything you've got, regardless of how much you've got in the tank, um, and never being satisfied with getting better, I think those things will take care of themselves. And um, I think if you get caught up in 
too far in front of you or get ahead of yourself, then you lose sight of what I need to be completing now to be successful then. Um, so that's, those are, and our girls know this too. It's, this is expectation I've had for them since I've been here. And, um, they're, they're, they're pretty on board with it. And I, I truly believe that if you're being present, uh, taking care of your job in the moment, those things are going to be easy when they come. And one of the, one, I think one of the moments from last Friday that sticks out most to me was we were talking to Riley uh, as a part of this group. And, and she said, like, you know, if we have a flat tire, Wayne and Susan are already on their way, no matter what the time. And they said that they get that same energy from you and Molly. What does that part of it mean to you? Where it seems like the girls already trust you. It might not be the level that Wayne and Susan, obviously, they've right. been here since the millennium started. But they've already have that kind of foundation set with you. It's not a fresh face in the locker room or anything like that. Right. Yeah. It, it means a lot. And being, you just, I think honestly, they've been really genuine with us and we've done the same and we love having up, having them up in the office and talking way more about life than about volleyball. Um, I always tell them, you know, they're going to be volleyball players for a very short period of time in their lives. And our Molly and I's main goal is to be helping them be better young women every day so that when they're done here, they're going to be going out, um, into society and having a positive impact on whatever field they choose to be a part of. Um, and I think, you know, when when someone cares about you, only then are you going to care about how much they know. And um, establishing that trust with them has allowed us to then help them become better volleyball players. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be changing tires for them if they need me. <laughs> All right. Well, one final question will be the hardest one I ask you, cool. okay? Yeah. Uh, favorite place to eat in town? Oh, man. Broadway Diner. Oh, <laughs> oh that, hands down. Okay. Yeah, it's a little dangerous. I get two entrees there, and uh, they all, they always ask me how I don't get sick. Sometimes I do, but it's so worth it. You got to get the stretch, and you got to get the works omelet. Oh, I was going to say the same two entrees every, every time. Every single time, they know my order. <laughs> oh, there's Josh Taylor. Get, get those ready. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Well, that was uh, Josh Taylor, the interim head coach for the Mizzou volleyball team. You guys start. August 16th is the black and gold at Hearns, right? Correct. Yeah. And then you guys start the season in Puerto Rico, which is pretty cool. We'll be heading to Puerto Rico. And then I think your first home, actually your only non-conference home games all take place the same weekend, September 13th through the 15th, through the correct? 15th, yep. And that's the weekend that CMO for the football team is here. So definitely a lot of chances to yep. see a lot of Mizzou sports that weekend. And then your next home game after that is the start of conference. Against when? Kentucky on the 29th. All right. And that's a bye week for Mizzou, actually. Uh, if I'm correct, I'll tell me that's in between the South Carolina and Troy games. So plenty of chances to go check out Hearns and be there for them. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. And we'll definitely be covering you this entire season. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Taylor for joining us here in the interview studio and uh, Mizzou SID Andy Oldenburg. I know he doesn't want the thanks. He wants it on the athletes, but thank you for both of them coming in and joining us in studio for that interview. It was uh, quite enlightening, I think. it was. Yeah, uh, I, I think it was I think it was excellent. Uh, you know, just having Josh here, uh, for him to take time out of his day, we certainly appreciate uh, getting the chance uh, to, to talk face-to-face, just to be uh, across the uh, across the table from him here in our podcast room at the Tribune uh, and just to kind of sit down and, and have a conversation about uh, about the future of the program and also just what this whirlwind of events uh, has been like for for Josh and for Molly uh, them together over over the past few days. And so, yeah, kind of kind of playing a little catch up now. I know we had a tiny bit of de- technical difficulties with our last podcast that came out on Friday. Hopefully, none of the you're not hearing any technical difficulties now. But uh, kind of recapping everything that's kind of happened over the past couple of weeks. We had uh, I, I went to SC Media Days, uh, I guess, early last week in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, SC polls came out. Missouri 
Just like I put them on my ballot, it was predicted to be third in the SEC East with Georgia and Florida in that order above them. I don't remember the exact order of who was below them. Uh, I know I put Tennessee fourth and they didn't get fourth. I think it might have been South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt in that order is how they actually ended up. Uh, to a shocker of not many, Alabama was picked to win the West and picked to win the conference. And, you know, that means a third straight Alabama-Georgia, I guess, meeting beyond the regular season. Because uh, they didn't meet in the SEC Championship in 2017. That was Auburn and Georgia. Uh, but they met last year, obviously. and then they met, But they met in the National Championship game in 2017. So, yeah. So, you being down there, you got head coaches from all the football programs in the league. You got mm-hmm. the, the top few players that, that those coaches selected to come and, and represent their respective programs. Uh, but I, I, in respect to Mizzou, Eric, was was there one thing that maybe stood out to you? Um, you just 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 one one thing you noticed from being down there uh, in person, just kind of observing what's going on, and, and from your interviews, uh, what, what stood out to you first and foremost uh, from the Mizzou perspective down in Hoover? Just how much national attention there is on Kelly Bryant, and not to plug another column in Friday's uh, edition. We uh, I wrote my column kind of about it on Kelly Bryant. It's just. I don't think there'd be much league-wide, you know, grasping for attention for Mizzou if Kelly Bryant didn't play for them. You know, the NCAA sanctions really didn't move the needle, if you think about it. How much did, you know, Mizzou fans care about what was going on with Ole Miss the past two years? I don't really think it, it touched on the radar, so even, even more so for what's going on Mizzou now. Uh, you know, Kelly Bryant had a huge following, being kind of the guinea pig for the transfer portal, what it means to go to a school like Missouri, from a school that won the national championship. I think that that was the biggest thing I took away, is that there's not this institutional, I guess, care, like there is with an LSU, like a Florida, even a South Carolina or a Kentucky, uh, that there is for Mizzou. So I think that just how much exposure Kelly Bryan gave Mizzou is a, is a really, really nice thing, a really good thing. Uh, and I think that uh, kind of the other part that spoke to me was when SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey opened up with his remarks. He does it first at every SEC Media Days, and he was asked a question about, from a radio station in St. Louis kind of about uh, the sanctions, and he, and he kind of said everything and nothing all at the same time, which was, you know, it was like, the Appeals and Infractions Committee has a chance to do something here, and we're going to leave it at that. Clearly, you know, you're biting your tongue a little bit, and as, as he should, because legally, just like Mizzou, the SEC can't say anything. But clearly, that's the implication of, you got it wrong, the, pri- the crime and punishment don't match, fix it. So, and, and officially, the uh, Mizzou uh, appeal was heard by the NCAA last Thursday, July 18th, and now we're waiting between the next get three weeks and three months, I guess, to hear back, technically, in between then. Uh, I know that fans have kind of been expecting to hear back in fall camp. But the closer that gets, the more that feels like it's unlikely to me. Uh, if you think about it, actually, I just mentioned Ole Miss. Uh, they met with the NCAA on July 18th, 2018 for their sanctions and didn't hear back until November. I don't think it's going to take until November from Mizzou as their case is way more straightforward than Ole Miss's was. But no one knows the NCAA t- NCAA's timeline. That's not even a diss to them. It's just that they work and they govern themselves and they hold themselves accountable. That's how the NCAA works. And speculating about when we can hear back from them is probably actually kind of foolish. Just to, to change gears back to Kelly Bryant. Sure, sure. Uh, y- you've got the opportunity uh, to talk with him, to meet him, uh, more than I have, certainly more than, than maybe many uh, of our listeners have. Sure. How would you describe him? Um, he, he, he already seems to have won over the trust of his teammates. Um, 
how did he go about doing that? And, and what, what really kind of makes him tick? What, what's his personality like as, as the leader of uh, th- this team this season? So who is Kelly Bryant? Kelly Bryant, I think, as a whole, is someone who really cares about the game of football, someone who really cares about every opportunity he's been presented. I think he's a realist in the fact that, I don't know if he saw what Dabo Sweeney did at, at Clemson coming, but he at least understood going to probably the most hyped prospect in college football after the season since John Elway or Andrew Luck. I mean, there, there's, there's already draft projections about who's tanking this year for the NFL to get Trevor Lawrence in 2021. You know, things there, there are things like that out there for a guy who had three-fourths of a season of just absolute brilliance. Um, I think that another moment that kind of stood out to me at SC Media Days was Kale Garrett was in the main podium talking, and uh, a national beat writer kind of asked him, what was your moment that kind of won you over to Kelly Bryant, if there was one? And he told us a story that we kind of hadn't heard yet, which was that it was probably middle of, around Valentine's Day, middle of February, and... You know, Barry kind of met with the team and was like, "We want you to stay. We think we built something great here, regardless of the sanction. And but we understand if you have kind of we understand if you have to go. We kind of you know it's a nomadic business in this time. You know this this treacher, you know, treacherous path that we're on. Uh, and Kelly Bryant was one of the first people kind of to stand up and said, "I'm here. You're the guys I want to go forward with. You're the guys that I want to go to battle with. And like that was the respect moment for Kale Garrett and a few and I, I, I'd assume several other Tigers. Uh, so I think he's invested at Missouri. I don't think I think that as a team they kind of are. There's not that Drew level kind of legend around him, but uh, there's kind of a, you know, bypassing as much as that as possible, knowing that if he didn't come here and Sean Robinson's appeal, which we're still waiting to hear on, didn't come through, you're going to a guy who has played maybe at most 15 snaps in the SEC. And would be the true red flag and anchor of this team would be behind center. There just isn't that guy, that experienced guy for the first time in Missouri in a decade behind center ready to go. And Kelly Bryant can have that transition where Sean Robinson obviously can be eligible next year. or They can build up a Taylor Powell or a Connor Bayslack or a Lindsey Scott to kind of be in that spot. So Kelly Bryant is looked at kind of as a guy who sews up one of the weaknesses of the team because there was always the question, well, what happens after Drew Locke? And I don't think many people thought, well, we're going to get the best, most prized person to transfer into Missouri in the nation or one of the most prized transfers in the nation. It's either him or Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, but I'd put probably Kelly Bryant ahead of both of them um, because of his potential impact. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers your question. It kind of yeah, went a no, little tangent no, it, there. It, it, it uh, definitely does. I think the short answer is Kelly O'Brien is a motivated player that Mizzou fans will, will get behind because the players are already behind. Uh, do I think he's as good a pass as Drew Locke? Absolutely not. Do I think he's a better runner than Drew Locke? Absolutely. But I think his impact can look pretty similar. Does that answer that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think, Sorry, I, 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 think, I, think, I think we all we all appreciate the insights into just getting to know a little bit more behind the scenes of of what Bryant is like. Certainly, he he uh, he answers maybe the number one question that Mizzou would have had this year, uh, just like you were saying, um, and uh, certainly is in a position to to elevate this team to what could be a special year. Yeah, uh, obviously we'll have a preview section coming out, but my thought has been for a couple weeks now that Mizzou will be nine and three. And I don't like, I don't want to say who the three losses are going to be against right now because I figured it out in my head and Mizzou fans wouldn't like it because if, if it goes nine and three, that means Mizzou is going to lose to a team that they're favored to beat. And 
by process of elimination of the teams that they cannot lose to, Mississippi fans would not like who my third loss behind Georgia and Florida would be. I don't mind revealing it, but you wouldn't like it. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty certain you have to now. All right, you guess, and I'll tell you if you're right. Who besides Georgia and Florida, they would be favored in the other ten games as of right now. Who would be the other you're team? Not, you're not putting me in this hole. Okay, this right, is you. okay. Right now, I think the third loss is going to be South Carolina. Okay. Just because of process of elimination. <laughs> That's it. I just can't see them losing three in a row. So that eliminates Kentucky and uh, Tennessee on the other side. They're not losing Arkansas. They're not going to lose to Vanderbilt. They're not losing to Ole Miss. And they're not losing the rest of their uh, non-conference games. That leaves one team in that South Carolina. But process of elimination, it had to be them. If I say nine and three, there's one team left there, to there choose. Ha- there have to be three losses if you say it, nine and three. If I, right, exactly. Exactly. So, Although I think the Missouri can beat South Carolina, and I think that that's one of the most important games that Missouri will play this season, regardless of when it takes place. I just, if I had to pick three losses, South Carolina is the only other team I can pick right now. Yeah. Sorry, everybody, but that might change because it sounds kind of, it sounds correct saying nine and three out loud, but when you actually look and diagnose what Missouri's schedule is. There's a a real chance to get to that. There's a real chance of 10 and two, yeah. Yeah. If not 11 and one. I mean, and I, Eleven and one is probably not going to happen, but ten and two is n- not that much more has to align to put them at double digit wins. That's crazy. So maybe a little bit of basketball news here before we get on to uh, getting off this podcast and uh, kind of make this a volleyball heavy podcast because I don't know how many of those we'll actually have once we actually get into football season and everything else going on. We'll definitely touch talk about them a lot, but a lot of the football things will kind of lead off the podcast yeah, once we go. Nice forward. to get to focus on volleyball yeah. today, and I'm I'm certain we'll we'll, we'll follow up, but uh, but yeah. Uh, kind of following with some basketball news, both Kevin and I, right after the Susan Wayne Kreklo uh, press conference, got availability with uh, members of the Mizzou men's basketball team. Basically, outside of Jeremiah Tillman, the seven returning players to the team who started last year as scholarship players. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Torrence Watson, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Mitchell Smith, Xavier Pinson, Parker Braun, and one I'm forgetting off the top of my head. You got to help me here. Um, Javon Pickett. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I just was, I could picture him and I was completely blanking. Um, <laughs> you got there, but we, we got there and I think I might've said Parker Braun twice, but we'll, we'll go on. You get the gist. There was, there were, there was a good amount of players. We had a story in Sunday's paper on Drew Smith, kind of how he's been sitting back and watching. And then I think today, uh, Wednesday's paper. Yeah. It just came out this uh, morning. on Mark Smith, uh, not related. Mitchell Smith, Mark Smith, and Drew Smith, all not related to each other with the last name Smith. I think that's, you know, maybe not the, the, the weirdest thing ever, but no. certainly something of note. Lots uh, of Smiths, lots, lots of Smiths. Uh, and three of them that might start. Definitely two were going, yeah. were going to start. Um, Mitchell Smith being kind of the one question mark. I don't think there's any doubt that Drew at the one and Mark at the two is kind of solidified, along with Jeremiah at the five. It's kind of the three and the four that we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ch- check those stories out. Kind of look, looks like expectations are kind of right on the bubble right now nationwide for this team. And I'd say that's pretty accurate. I think if they can get hot, I think that just like they did in 17, uh, yeah, they could they could easily find themselves into the tournament. I, I don't think that's they're probably not going to be a high seed. I can't see them being ranked the entire year or anything like that. They just don't have the roster for it right now. But in terms of getting in the tournament, like at a seven, eight, nine, ten level, that's perfectly within their grasp. So when you uh, when you got the chance just uh, to talk with Drew Smith, certainly that's a guy who uh, was hoping maybe to get the chance to play last year. Uh, didn't get the the waiver through NCAA when he transferred from Evansville. Uh, had, Correct. Had to be out for uh, this past season. 
Now he's kind of chomping at the bit to make an impact. You know, chomping he, at the bit. Chomping at the bit. I don't know. The, I, I did one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, he's uh, he, he's in this spot now where he he's been around the program for a year. He knows what Coach Martin is looking for out of him. Um, how, how much of a difference can Drew Smith make to this team? And, and what uh, what do you think fans can expect out of just kind of his style of play and some of his strengths that he's going to bring to the table? I think the biggest hole he fills is maybe one that's kind of off the court. At you know The, the role Jordan Geist played last year, obviously he was the team's leader. He was the point guard. He was kind of the go-to bucket when needed. And both, and I think that Xavier Pinson and uh, Drew Smith will kind of be taking over that role, kind of where Jordan Geist was last year. I think that's what he can provide. He's one of the most efficient players that Missouri has. I mean, there's. I don't want to say that the Missouri Valley Conference, where Evansville is, because Missouri State's in it too, is is a complete and utter step down from the SEC. But there's a complete and utter step up going from there. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's not. It's not like. You see, you, you see teams mid-majors all the time who can challenge the big boys. Mm-hmm. But just the grind of an SEC season is different, and that's where the biggest difference come in, comes into play. Instead of playing Bradley and Valparaiso and schools like that, you're playing on the road in, at Rupp in Kentucky. You're heading to Oxford to play Ole Miss. You're going to Gainesville to play Florida. You're going to Knoxville to play Tennessee. That, that's, a, that's a completely different grind that Drew Smith has to get through. And I think that in that grind... He'll find himself a little bit, and I think his efficiency, should it stay at the level it's at, is going to be a very, very helpful tool to Missouri. Mark Smith's back and healthy, healthy too. Uh, you know, he kind of mentioned to us, I think it was on Friday, that he had, had like a lingering foot bone injury or something like that since like sophomore, sophomore year of high school. But nuts. Uh, but that was it a January game against yeah. Arkansas where he, he rolled he, up over on his ankle and oh um, and, and he said he, uh, he actually uh, you know suffered a, a broken foot that then he just he had to get addressed with surgery. And then he you know being the sharpshooter that he was to have him out of that lineup really did uh, you know hurt hurt the team going forward just not having him out there not having his presence and, and his ability to to knock down those long-range shots yeah to write that story i went back and found that clip it's not kevin Ware bad or joe theisman bad but if it's you're squeamish bad. it it mm. looks awful like i've never seen a worse roll of the ankle in my entire I, I can't I, it's, i'm picturing it now it's just it looked awful so to see him back and hopping around and everything was was quite the sight to see yeah back in five on five and i think he's certainly glad to be back and teammates too they lots of his teammates had some high praise just about uh not only his rehab process but just what he's gonna what he's gonna mean to uh but what it's gonna mean to have him back out on the court all right i think we'll do probably a uh pre-camp edition when i get back from a little tiny uh vacation here to back home to washington dc i'll be seeing uh actually i'll be seeing uh former tribune sports reporter daniel jones coming up there we go uh, shout and, out and, and not to preview anything we have coming up but he's already agreed to me to be a podcast guest coming up some point this season uh former tribune sports reporter daniel jones will be back on the podcast sometime in the next couple months awesome uh I'll, I'll reach out to cam if he's not already listening and he'll he'll come back on too uh he's having a great time being the louisville uh, football beat reporter at the courier journal in kentucky uh, yeah, so uh, we'll probably do a pre-camp edition next Thursday or Wednesday before Mizzou heads back on the field on August 2nd, but yeah. Yeah, coming up soon. All right, uh, I, think soon. That, I think that kind of wraps it up for this edition. If you want to give us the outro, Kevin. All right, and- for the Mizzou Sports Podcast, until next time.
gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.